From the National Endowment for the Arts, this is Artworks. I'm Josephine Reed. Hi, I'm James Poling, and I'm the creator of Modern Warrior Live with Dominic Farinacci. I spent eight years in the 82nd Airborne Division, three years in Afghanistan with them, uh, before coming back to Ohio. My name is Dominic Farinacci. I'm a trumpet player and jazz musician and uh, co-creator of Modern Warrior Live. Begun in 2017, Modern Warrior Live, which has received support from the Arts Endowment, is a theatrical experience that mixes first-person narrative with music and multimedia to chronicle U.S. Army veteran James Poling's story of his three deployments in Afghanistan and his transition back home. Its aim is to break down societal barriers that leave veterans feeling isolated and to begin to build bridges between veteran and civilian communities. Written by James, with music by Dominic, and performed by both, under the direction of Emmett Murphy, Modern Warrior Live has presented over 120 shows around the country, with talkbacks and conversations after each performance. What Modern Warrior Live has discovered is that while James's story may be his own, Veterans and civilians alike are finding deep connections with the experiences that he relates. Before we move to my conversation with James and Dominic, we're going to hear an excerpt from Modern Warrior Live. It's a clip from the film that they made of the show during the COVID lockdown. Here's James Poling with Dominic Farinacci on trumpet. If I could give anything to the ones who are hurting, it would be peace. For some... I know things might not get better, but I can't help but think that there are individuals out there that need to know that growth is possible. They need to know that society can be wrong when it assigns labels to survivors based on the trauma they survive. Why is it the case someone that survives cancer is considered stronger, while someone that survives combat is considered damaged or a liability? Forged in combat is a saying we rarely hear now. Why? We don't feel like victims. I'm not saying the road is easy. It's littered with overdoses and suicides. And each time that dull pain that comforts me is transformed into a searing pain that leaves me once again looking forward to just the familiar ache of loss. If I could go back, I would keep the violence and the gratitude, my tribe and my isolation, my memories and my grief. I think most of us would, because that journey has forged who we are.
You just heard an excerpt from Modern Warrior Live. James, this is based on your own experiences. And I'm curious, as you put this together, what is it that you wanted to convey? What did you want the audience to come away with? So when I got out of the military, I came to Cleveland in 2013, and I was trying to find my place. And, you know, I joined the Army when I was 17. I became an adult there, of course, having no shortage of formidable experiences there. But when I came out, I couldn't really find my place. And I knew that I had these issues I was dealing with. And as I looked around for that narrative of individuals dealing with similar issues and where they were going, all I could find is vets kind of portrayed in three different ways. And one way is the hero, and that's easy enough to throw out. And so then we're left with two buckets, and that's the liability bucket and the damaged bucket. And those were the only two that I could find. And for about a year and a half, I just kind of lived with that. Luckily, that year and a half also allowed me to grieve and put me in a position to start to build back from that. But once I started you know, going back to school, putting things back together, I realized that there is this whole concept of post-traumatic growth that's not discussed and I realized that if we could discuss it, we could balance that narrative. So when other vets come home and they're looking for, okay, what's next? What group do I belong to? They're provided some hope. I think one of the side effects of the awareness of post-traumatic stress that we've done a great job of creating as a society was that it can kind of feel like a life sentence when you're told you have that diagnosis. So we want to make sure that we address that. We talk about those real issues, but we also provide that hope and that way out of it. We try and break it down into categories that seem much more manageable for the individual. You certainly do talk about post-traumatic stress in the show, and you're very cognizant of the fact that some veterans don't make it through that. But there is a really rich life on the other side of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can say I'm now happier than I've been at any point in my life prior to the military included. And there are still issues that I deal with, but I think that there's no reason that we can't get to that place for, for a lot of members in our group. At the same time, though, like you mentioned, we do recognize that some people do have a much harder time with that. The majority of vets that see the show come up and they tell me that they feel inspired and they're looking for that life on the other side of it. At the same time, I've had conversation with vets that say, you know, they appreciate the message, but they feel like it doesn't really relate to where they are right now and that they feel like, you know, they loaned themselves out and they came back broken. And so we want to make sure that we're aware of those people. Um, we're still talking to them. We're including them in this. And we want to make sure that we're connecting them to the right resources as we connect everyone else to them. And, and Dominic, I mean, as we said, James, James's words are very, very powerful, and they're underscored by the music that's put together by you, Dominic. What is it that you wanted the music to convey? When we first started talking about this, the, the most important thing was to amplify the exact story that he's telling. I remember when we met at a bar for the first time, like we talked for seven hours and just listened to, to his story. And I realized from my perspective, a civilian perspective, somebody who really never really thought that deeply about veterans, doesn't have any deep connection to, to the veteran community. When I heard his story, it wasn't fitting in like the snapshot sound bites that I've heard in the media in terms of that damaged veteran or the liability. And it was a much deeper story 
just rooted in the human experience, so much humanity around it in a way that although I could never picture myself in his shoes and to see the things that he went through, the way he was telling it in the stories, it created a real relatable, impactful moment for me to be able to look at certain things in my life. And so that was really the core of it. Like, how can we take this story and reach folks of all different walks of lives? Of course, the veteran community and their family members and caregivers, but also people like me who don't have a deep connection to the veteran community and everyone else in between. So our goal was how can we create this using his story and the power of the arts and the unifying elements of the arts to be able to bring this to every corner of the country to be able to have everybody who sees it, regardless of their background, have an incredibly impactful experience. That's kind of where we started out. God knows you have a range of music in the show. It's extraordinary. You have jazz, blues, R&B, hip hop, traditional. It's, it's really something. Yeah, yeah, thank you. When we were creating the musical landscape, um, one of my buddies and dear friends uh, who's been really instrumental in, in helping to, uh, to collaborate on this, his name is Christian Tambor, we connected and, and talked about the music, the right artist, every aspect of the musicality of this. And, um, and he really um, got really deeply impacted by James's story. Certainly, James's story just provides an incredible musical inspiration we wrote certain songs and, you know, certain songs come from the 82nd Airborne and other military specific songs and others are more popular songs that most people in the country have heard before. But hearing it through this lens and through this context, I know for me, the lyrics of these, some of these great songs really just take on a whole new meaning. And so, yeah, we love exploring that, you know, that side of it and really kind of following his story to to bring all of these different musical worlds together through this unifying element of his story. And how did you two start working together? Maybe I'll, I'll start. There's kind of three core parts to it. So one, um, I was uh, in Cleveland getting ready to record my latest album. A wonderful producer, the late you know, legendary Tommy LaPuma, who's also from Cleveland, we decided to bring the recording process back to our hometown. And he introduced um, this song to me by Tom Waits from a great album, Swordfish Trombones, called Soldier's Things. And I was getting ready to perform it. And even though I'm an instrumentalist, I love to know the lyrics and the meaning of the song. So uh, lyrically, it's about a soldier coming back from, from war and kind of reacclimating and finding his or her own way. And I thought to deepen that experience and my understanding of it, I'd like to meet somebody who's fought overseas. And so through a mutual friend, uh, I met James. Yeah. And for me, you know, I'd mentioned I, I came home, spent about a year and a half in kind of a rough spot. Uh, but when I did start putting things together and I went back to school, I signed up for two classes initially. I wanted to feel it out. And one of those two classes was like an English 101 class. And my English professor, Trista Powers, who's amazing, uh, one of the first assignments she gave us was a was a memoir. So I, I kind of talked to her offline and said, hey, you know, I'm, I really kind of want to put something real down here. Uh, I think I'm going to blow the length requirement out of the water. And I just want you to know, like, I'm OK if I do this. You're not going to, like, turn me into anybody or anything because I want to be honest here. And she was great. And she encouraged me to do it. So I, I wrote this little memoir piece, which it's been cut up, and parts of it are in the show today still. And when she read it, she asked to share it with the veterans community on campus. And they read it. They asked me to be the guest speaker for Veterans Day. 
And then I started getting asked to sit on panels and stuff like that. When I got out of the military, I really was looking to transition from the veteran space. I didn't see myself as an artist. Uh, I didn't see myself as a writer. It was the first thing I'd written. And since meeting Dominic through that mutual friend, initially this, this almost felt like an obligation. My first meeting with Dominic, I wanted to convey that I was concerned that he might make something else where it's another one of those products where it's you know a, a vet in the bathroom with a gun to their head. And we know how powerful that is. And I think that it did have a role to play. But we want to make sure, again, like I mentioned, that we're balancing that narrative. And so I asked him to make sure he was balancing that narrative. And that night he told me if I was willing to do it with him, I would have final edit on anything we did together. And that was the beginning of it. And it quickly became a passion for me as well. And now I couldn't imagine doing anything else. What was the process of creating Modern Warrior Live? Would you go back and forth? Would you comment on the writing, Dominic? Did you weigh in on the music, James? How did you work on it? From the beginning, we were working together. You know, from the time that we started talking about these experiences, Dominic was thinking about music and working on it. And when it came time for me to actually put it on paper, I uh, flipped my sleep schedule. I stayed up every night. I wrote through the night. I kind of intentionally tried to let myself slip back into that kind of earlier, almost more depressed state. And I was confident that I'd be able to, to work through it again on the other side. But as I would write pieces, I would kick them to Dominic. And Dominic, again, with me having no artistic background at all, Dominic would kick some music back to me. And when I listened to it, I could recognize that he kicked back the music that did reflect what I'd written. But then it sent me back to the writing. And so... That way, Dominic's music continued to shape my writing uh, in the same way that my writing was driving some of the music. And on the on the musical front, um, and just thinking about the overall production, all the different team players, from the the performers to the to the director and to the every aspect of this um, production, when we were creating it, we piloted the first twenty minutes at Cuyahoga Community College in Cleveland, and then we created the rest of the show at Playhouse Square in Cleveland. As it organically built, we found that every artist, everybody in the production just really got behind James's story. And that was really and continues to be the number one inspiration for the output of everything else that comes around it. And, you know, as musicians, you know, we are storytellers and there's incredible inspiration in just hearing first person stories, especially of, of this level and of this dynamic and of this complexity. And so it just provides an endless journey of creative capacity.
I really want to give a shout out to the musicians and the singers who I saw in the video. They are extraordinary, just extraordinary. Are they part of a regular company that works with you all the time? Um, no, I wish it was that formal. So we have about three different kind of core groups um, that travel with us depending on where we're at. But I just wanted to mention on that film, it's kind of a, a deep connection to a, a lot of those players as they're from my hometown in Cleveland that have done a lot of live performances with us. And I just mentioned that the, the drummer, um, his name is Gabe Jones. He was 17 at the time when he took on this show. And um, he was one of my students in Tri-C Jazz Fest Academy, this pre-college program here. And I thought, saw his capacity to really internalize a lot of different kind of styles. And he did a great job of holding it together. And um, all the vocalists and musicians, you know, they're all really cast in a very specific role with very specific intentions. Did you find the process of writing healing for you, James? Did you find that it actually enabled you to work through stuff and, and help you get to that other side? Yeah, yeah, it, it did. And I, I was kind of surprised by how it affected me a little. When I started writing, I thought I was in a pretty good place. And I thought that, you know, I could get through that stuff without it physically affecting me at that point. Uh, early on after my first deployment, when I had those physical post-traumatic stress reactions to things, after that happened, I, I was trying to figure it out, and I was still in the military at the time, and so there you feel this obligation to not seek any professional mental help because you're worried you're going to lose your guys, and you know you won't be able to redeploy with them. So you try and find ways to deal with stuff yourself, and I would sit on my couch, I would think about the fights, and I would have that physical reaction again. And the more I did that, the less that physical reaction was until I could actually sit on the couch, think about those fights, and that physical reaction wasn't there. And I find it requires maintenance to keep that. At the time, I knew nothing of parallels to exposure therapy, cognitive processing therapy, those things. But when it came time to write, I thought that I was still in that place where I could jump into these things and I wouldn't have those physical reactions. And I was surprised that uh, for some of it, I did have those reactions. And that's what really highlighted how important it uh, maintenance was for me. And um, I still see that today. I mean, with the with COVID, we weren't out doing the show. And I started to feel some symptoms creeping back in because, again, I wasn't working on maintaining my physical reaction to them. It's such a powerful show. And I just wonder how it is for you doing performance after performance, James. I mean, these are your memories. And how do you avoid losing yourself in them again? And how do you decompress? Yeah, if we didn't have the conversations after the shows, it would be much harder. Usually by the end of the show, I do. I, f I feel pretty spent. But then I have the conversations with the people that came to the show. We have the conversation where we pass microphones around the audience. And then when that's done, there's always a group of individuals that come up to the stage and it, we kind of start a second more intimate conversation until the theater staff generally kicks us out. But it's those conversations that it, it really it just winds me up for the next one. And, and seeing that impact makes it worth it 100 times over. And I'd just like to add, before we started this, I mean, you had no theater background or no. anything remotely related. The thing that was so incredibly compelling, you know, we created, we created the idea for this and then brought in the right team members. And the first day in production, it dawned on me, I'm like, wait a minute, James has never done this kind of thing before. <laughs> and for a moment, I freaked out. But then, uh, I mean, talk about like adaptability of skill sets of like, you know, what you learned 
in the mil- military and that kind of discipline. Like James showed up earlier than everyone else, for by the way, you know, to begin with. And his level of preparedness, I mean, he had this entire thing completely memorized and internalized. And we did, you know, take after take. And this is just creating the first 20 minutes. He did take after take and just continually delivered an incredibly impactful take. And, you know, at the beginning, when when we started to create this, a few folks had come in and said, well, you know, that's great. Like, it's James's story, but maybe you should have like an actor. And, and a lot of were really adamant about that. And we've actually like never even considered that because it kind of defeats the purpose of what we're doing. And so fast forward, you know, it's great to see James it, like quickly grow through, okay, the filming of it, but then through the live performances. And I remember one show in particular at in Washington, D.C. at the National Council for Behavioral Health. There were 5,000 people there. And James went on stage and just did his thing without second guessing anything, man. And it's like, you know, us artists, I mean, this takes us years to be able to be com- that comfortable and just playing our instrument, let alone telling about our personal life. So I always forget to mention that actually to you, but I'm really always in awe of how you've quickly adapted that. And it's a, it's a special thing and it's nothing that we could have planned. Like it just happened so organically. And sometimes that's, that's the best way for the most special things for, in our lives to kind of come, come together. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, I, when I was watching the film of the show, there were things that I marked down that just seems so true for you in the military. And one, you said it's uncompromisingly violent. Put that to one side for now. But the other two, shared purpose and clarity in your mission. And of course, theater does that too. It is very clear what you need to do. And there is a shared purpose. It's so collaborative. You're a team. You're working together as a team. And that that's something that you're used to, James, where you can just tap into what was so central in the military. Yeah, it, it feels pretty easy to do on stage when I'm up there and I'm looking at the audience. I'm thinking about you know what I want to share with my friends that are still struggling. Uh, those I served with, their loved ones, and it, it really just kind of feels organic with that in mind. One thing that really struck me that was so important about the show was the tone that you use, James. I mean, there are things that you say that are very stark. For example, in the show, you talk about what it's like to kill somebody. But the way you convey that experience, the tone of voice that you use is is just so important because it doesn't come off as arrogant or cocky or like you're being a tough guy. You're describing a circumstance, a normalized experience for someone in combat. Yeah, thank you for that. I feel like so many times people try to share a message and that that cockiness or the ego can get involved. And a lot of that message can be missed. Um, and at the same time, I wanted to answer the questions that, you know, we we often tell people not to ask veterans. I wanted to put those answers directly in the script. So that's why when I do talk about shooting individuals, a lot of vets are asked if they killed somebody and if they'd been in combat. It's it's hard to know. It's hard to answer that question. I mentioned you start getting at you start getting shot at by some bushes. You know, you start shooting the bushes, your guys are shooting the bushes, and then if you find that you have killed a fighter behind those bushes later, did you kill somebody? Who knows? It was a collective action. And those are the things that I feel like aren't normally discussed. I don't think civilians think about it that way. And so, you know, we wanted to make sure that we touch on those topics in the most responsible way possible 
and in a way that allows people to build their conversations and share their experiences without having to focus on mine specifically. I thought the way you told your story, the tone that you had throughout that show, really enabled people to hear what you were saying. Thank you for that. Yeah, we really wanted to make sure that we were doing everything we could to help bring the veteran and civilian communities together so that veterans can feel that support. You know, I know that there's a lot of vets that, you know, they'll say things like, yeah, the civilians will never get it. And to some extent, I think there's a bit of truth in that. But I always thought that that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And so I wanted to make sure that we did the best we could to convey that in the show. And that's why we do things like when I'm talking about deploying, I'm talking about seeing my dad cry and having to walk out of the room. Uh, because I feel like that's something that civilians and veterans alike can get behind. And that's the tone that we try to maintain through the show. You talk in the show about finding strength and vulnerability. And I'd, I'd like you to say more about that, because that seems really key to what you're exploring in the show. Yeah. You know, it's something that when I was younger, I, I never would have said anything like that. And honestly, when I was younger, if I would have seen the show, uh, I don't know that I would have liked it. But I think that after watching so many amazing people in combat, and they're the ones you want leading you, they're the ones you want next to you, they're the ones you want following you, there's those people that are, that they're just great in that place. And a lot of it's selflessness, courage, of course, a, a multitude of other attributes. But then I would watch some of those individuals, and myself included, struggling with some of our personal relationships at home. And I know when I looked at myself, I kind of felt like, two different people. And I felt like I was doing a good job at being one of those people and a horrible job at being the other one. When I looked at what each spot required, I realized that they they had two completely different approaches. And so if I was going to be as good at one as I thought I was at the other, I really did have to look at things like vulnerability, like the, the effort put into relationships. Because when you get to the point where everything feels numb, it gets hard to come home and listen to the person you're with talk about the challenges of their day. And so I think you really have to make it a point to tackle those things. And in tackling those things, that's where I see that strength and vulnerability that I talk about in the show. You mentioned the talkbacks, and I'm really, really interested in, in those. Did you have those from the very beginning of the show, or was it something that you added? And tell me why it's such a key component for this show. Uh, the first time I'd ever read the script uh, with the band, we were doing, a, a, essentially it was a, a crowdfunding campaign early on, and we were kind of testing the viability of the show there as well. And the first time I read through the script, the local VA, they've been amazing in Cleveland, but they brought a bunch of vets in. And so I was reading through the script with, you know, 10 feet in front of me, there were two World War II vets, and then Korean vets, and then Vietnam vets, and then younger vets. And as I started reading through it, I mean, it was I, it, it was challenging for me just to get through it while hearing the music. And I realized how much them being in the room impacted me, but I saw how much what I was saying impacted them. And from that moment, I, I just couldn't imagine separating those two. Dominic, you contribute to the talkbacks too, I'm assuming. Yes, yes, absolutely. And sometimes the talkbacks are more structured where we have a panel of, um, you know, local mental health and or veteran advisors in each community. Sometimes it's just the two of us. But the, the reason why it's essential for every show that we do is because of the 
level of emotion that this show produces from an audience and you know the the comments we get afterwards i remember after the first show we did the comments that we got you know saying like we really have a deep responsibility to make this bigger than just this show itself you know and that's why we started our our nonprofit modern warrior live foundation so we can help to kind of build out the scope of all of the dialogue that this show is is creating and it's not just within the veteran community and i know we're the creators and we're always like kind of biased or something but like the impact of the comments that we get across the board are just just mind-blowing and during the talk back you know just to see a, a vietnam vet you know stand up i remember one time in the audience he says what i'm about to say i've never even shared with my wife who's uh, sitting right next to her him and so talk about that vulnerability that you mentioned earlier like it's it really creates vulnerability within the audiences that experience the show so we look at that as a real big responsibility to make sure that we're partnered with the right veteran and mental health organizations and that we're being able to reach the right communities both in major cities and also in rural underserved communities it's really part an important part of our mission so yes the talkbacks are really as important as the actual show itself. You mentioned earlier, James, COVID was a difficult time as as you were in isolation. What about for the organization for Modern Warrior Live? How did you guys deal with COVID? Obviously, you couldn't do performances. Did you take a sabbatical? What did you do? Uh, We did what we had to do to get through it, and we were looking for ways to continue to engage the community during it, and that's why we created the film. Without COVID, I don't think we would have the film today. But yes, I I mentioned too that isolation did really started to mess with me a little bit physically. But once I noticed that it was messing with me a little bit physically, I started trying to engage those things more. But it it served as a great reminder that that maintenance period is continuous. And regarding um, COVID period, it's funny, I know for so many artists and organizations, probably relate in that, you know, we spent four years building up the organization and then 2020, I guess, yeah, 2020, that was like our coming out year. We had an entire year booked with incredible engagements. And so that we were kind of waiting for that. And and that all um, came tumbling down in in a matter of a couple of days, as we all know. But the, the most special thing that came out of it is this film. Under the guidance of our director, Emmett Murphy, he really came up with the whole conception of how to film this with two cameras only and with one artist on stage at a time. So you'll never see more than one artist on stage. And uh, as we started doing it, um, I guess we forgot to realize that that requires each artist to like do the same thing eight to ten times over for editing and all that stuff. So it became a laborious, giant, (laughs) complicated process. But we're just so grateful to have had that opportunity to do that film because it was really a game changer to us. The film has really been uh, an important stepping stone for us and in our organization. I know Modern Warrior Live has received support from the Arts Endowment, and I'm curious to know what that support allowed you to do. Yeah, the NEA has been great. Uh, Initially, we received a grant in partnership with the Fine Arts Association in Ohio, and that allowed us to show our screening. It was the first time we were able to show that, and we spent a weekend doing that. And we continue to receive support from the NEA directly and through partnerships. So what's next for Modern Warrior Live? I'm assuming you'll be touring again. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so we have quite a few tour dates this year coming up. And it's interesting, when we first created it, we thought, well, this will be perfect for primarily performing arts center series. And so we pitched it to a lot of them, and we found like two interesting comments. One said, well, this might be good for Veterans Day, 
but we can't really use it anywhere else. And, and, and another consistent comment was these stories sometimes are pretty dark and, you know, kind of concerned about presenting this kind of thing. And it just so happened that we had a great opportunity to present this at the National Council for Behavioral Health for their main conference in, in D.C. for 5,000 health care providers. Our health care consultant advisor uh, for our, our foundation is um, Dr. Patrick Palmieri, who's also based around um, the Cleveland-Akron area. And so he had recommended us for that. And that was a game changer for us in terms of finding out that we actually like created a mental health show without knowing it. And so the mental health conferences and veteran conferences and galas and things like that has been kind of our, our home for performances. But certainly, especially with the grant from the NEA, we really want to try to bring this to more theaters around the country. It was designed, you know, for a theater originally and just a matter of got to have the right partners and the right outreach in place because we know that this is a different show than uh, that most are used to presenting. So our goal think over the next couple of years is to get back in the recording studio to do an album to document more of this show and ultimately to be able to do a national tour we want to be in literally every single city big and small around the country with this show and james do you see yourself growing your story in this show and do you still work on on the script or is, are you just happy with the way it is as i would be and just leaving it Thank you. No, it, it's something that we continue to work on. Specifically, I think about these conversations we've had after the shows. We've done over 120 shows around the country, and we've had conversations everywhere from Amazon headquarters to Rikers Island. And those conversations have really let me dig more into the content and better understand my experiences and really my path to the better place that I found myself in. And so as we look to continue to build content, we look to continue to build content specifically in the area of what what does that path look like? You know, how are you addressing these individual symptoms? And there's definitely uh, some conversations to be had there, and I think we're ready for that. So that'll be our next step. And I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you. Thank you both for giving me your time, and, and thank you for the work that you do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. And thank you for sharing the video with me. I was so glad I got a chance to see it, and I look forward to seeing the show live when you bring it to D.C. Thank you very much. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you in D.C. That was U.S. Army veteran James Poling and jazz trumpeter Dominic Farinacci. They're the co-creators of Modern Warrior Live. You can find out more about them and their upcoming tours at modernwarriorlive.org. We heard Lafayette Carthen on piano, Walter Barnes Jr. on bass, Gabe Jones on drums, Dominic Farinacci on trumpet, and Will Blaze was the vocalist. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play and leave us a rating. It helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Stay safe, and thanks for listening. <laughs>